Hello and good morning. Today, I'm going to reflect on my earlier life and what we knew at the time about health issues. The reason I shall do that is to compare some of what we knew with what we know now. And this, of course, is not only a lot more, but a lot more importantly, and it is not only better, but also more accurate. I shall start with an easy example. In my time, if we had a minor twist of the ankle, the first thing we were told is, rest your foot. Do not walk except for essential need and wait until the pain and the swelling improves. Well, if it were a very minor twist, that pain and swelling would be better in three to four days. But one would start hobbling after that and along to school or anywhere, not walking quite well. Nowadays, we hear of the football team manager chiding a player if he refuses to what they call play through the pain of an injury. A player is not substituted unless the injury is deemed bad enough to to prevent his ability to continue playing. So we now know that we should, as far as possible, work through any minor injury we happen to sustain. In the past, our lifestyle was so different from these days. We were supposed to indulge in a cigarette several times a day, have a few drinks in the pub in the evening, and just laze around after work. The idea of exercise was either because of necessity, particularly when car ownership was not as prevalent as nowadays, or very occasionally we may pamper ourselves with a stroll in a nearby park if the weather was all right. Our food sense was skewed towards what we can afford rather than how healthy we are supposed to eat. And as we all know, the health of the British people was much better during the war than before and immediately after because of the rationing of food. That rationing was worked out by experts who to provide adequate foodstuffs without being extravagant or unbalanced. When the rationing was removed and foodstuffs became more abundant and varied, and because income started to allow spending for some luxury rather than just necessity, we all know that along the decades an epidemic of overweight took hold of Western societies, starting with the USA and, as is inevitable, made its way to Britain and other parts of the world. With it came the rise of illnesses such as type 2 diabetes, arthritis, heart disease and so on. I'm hoping that the situation is now stabilizing and that the information on lifestyle is being hammered onto us by the relevant authorities to the extent that whether we like it or not, we have to at least heed it even if we do not necessarily follow it properly. We know that sugar is not, not good for us except where necessary and only in minimal quantities. We know that fruit and vegetable are good for us. We know that exercise should be an important part of our daily activity. And we are even told that working long hours does not necessarily mean we are more efficient or more productive. It could actually be the opposite. For example, the productivity of the French workers is slightly higher than the British workers, in spite of the French working on average about one or two hours a week less than the British. So I was pleased to read in one of the recent issues of the British Medical Journal an analysis under the title 
what is the best investments society can make to improve people's health. It made very interesting and informative reading. The key messages in this analysis was that investment in health is necessary for the sustaining of health, and our NHS for that matter. Preventive approaches are necessary, and everyone should develop a health policy or plan for himself or herself. So the onus is on us, and where we as individuals could develop the lifestyle that improves our well-being, the collective effect will reflect on our society. The role of the NHS or the government in general is to maintain a steady stream of information to the public, make preventative measures available such as, for example, the flu vaccine, and also to allow the medical profession the time and the resources to pursue prevention and not just pay attention to curative medicine. I wish that such a pattern arises, where the individual sense of responsibility, that is, mine and yours, combines with the larger concerns for our society and the overall guidance and provision of services by the government and its agencies, such as the NHS and the Department of Education. So, in conclusion, I recall the Muslim hadith or tradition that says, The reward of deeds depends upon the intentions, and every person will get the reward according to what he has intended. The Buddha puts it slightly different, but also so beautifully. He says, If a person is awake, aware, mindful, pure, considerate, self-restrained, and lives according to duty, that person's glory will increase. I hope I'm reminded of all this, and I hope I can follow the words I have just put into this talk with the deeds that give me the sense of achieving my modest role in our society and lessen the need to draw on our strained medical services and be mindful, among other things, of the rising cost of our NHS. Hopefully, I would have done my little bit. Goodbye.